I wish they'd bring back like classic Black Friday shopping and like Christmas shopping. Yeah, where you got to go with brass knuckles or else you ain't getting out of there alive. Man, what's the point of giving my loved ones gifts that they didn't know I nearly lost an eye over it? Or took an eye. Or took an eye, right. It's part like, of the gift. You're like, here's an extra kidney. I don't know if you like have like <laughs> renal failure or what. Right. So if you ever need a new heart, I took one off of a mother of three for that Tickle Me Elmo that my nephew wanted. But trust me, that that chick was about to steal your gift. She was not stealing it. She had hands on. So I had to get hands on. Right, right. Look, look I don't care who it is. I believe in equal rights and equal lefts. Okay. Right. I will... <laughs> I will come after somebody As in, for my gifts. I do not, uh, you know, uh, only punch twice on the right side. I also punch <laughs> le- uh, twice on the left side. So, yeah, exactly. I'll make sure everything's evened up. I'm basically like, I'm a curmudgeon, like, like boomer energy back in my day, but only when I used to have to go nine rounds for my capitalistic goods. Yeah, I remember um, this was, I, this was like maybe freshman year of college. Wait, wait, can you save that for the hot open? I guess. Oh, what do you mean, I guess? Like, this is so long of a cold open. Fine. Welcome back to class, everybody. I am one of the hosts, Ethan. I am your holly jolly professor, Ricky. It's that time. That's right. It's a literal day of Christmas episode. And okay, we were just talking about how we used to the way shopping used to be for thanks post Thanksgiving and early before Christmas, and it used to be a fucking brawl. So you back in freshman year of college, you had said, yeah. So this was back when you like actually had to wait outside of places to get yes. things on time. The t- the days, oh the days. Yeah, I I think I went to like Target at like 8 p.m. the night before or something and had to wait the whole time. Hell yeah. That's... Just to like get a TV or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just, you know, reminiscing back on the olden days. But there was a lot of like people cutting in line and shit. Oh, I don't stand for that. Yeah, Not that day. It was pretty, uh, it got a little, little let's just say dicey. <laughs> the other, uh, another one was like right when my college had won the national championship in football. Oh, oh okay. Uh, you know, you could go to like a sporting goods store and they'd have like championship shirts or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So everyone would go like the night you won and you'd just wait in line. And there were so many people trying to cut in line and like buy like a thousand shirts. And everyone's like, yo, what the fuck? Degenerates, all <laughs> yeah. of them. Degenerates. Just reminiscent of the uh, get your lights knocked out for buying shit time. You, uh, know? you know, back when uh, shoppers were real shoppers, you know, right. They were shopping and slapping everyone all, all over the and place. Shopping. Slopping and shopping. Um, but, you know, speaking of Christmas, we decided what, what, what could we do? A quick weebology session in the spirit of Christmas. And we decided, okay, we, you know, a lot of our listeners be American, some very international, but European at, at most. What is Christmas in Japan like? Or more rather, what is the history of Christmas in Japan? How did it start? Where did it come? Like, how did it kind of evolve? And what are some of the current traditions that they currently practice that maybe we do or don't know about? I know some people know some of the the bigger ones that are more of a food variety. We'll get into that for sure. But we wanted to start with how did Christmas get there? How did when did it start? So I think Ethan, it kind of dated back to like the late 1500s, I believe. 
Yes, exactly. I think it was fifteen fifty eight or something similar. Yeah, so it, it was uh, it was first introduced in Japan during the uh, Sengoku period, like the Warring States period, and uh, it was a lot of social upheaval, a lot of regime changes or potential regime changes that were quickly snuffed out later. But it is very widely considered that the missionary Francis Xavier introduced Christianity into into the Japanese culture. That the first Christmas service was held in 1552, and um, it kind of was celebrated with like gift tiding by giving uh, you know donations to less privileged farmers. So it was more kind of like a very communal you know giving time, even all the way then. Um, this did not last long. <laughs> yeah, it was a let's just say a bright, uh, quick romance with the Christmas spirit back in the 1550s. Yeah, it, it caught like wildfire. Very, very Christianity in general, and therefore Christmas caught like wildfire. But uh, the Tokugawa shogunate uh, was very. Uh, they weren't down with the old J man. They were thinking like these uh, these Christian hooligans are going to absolutely uh, take over our regime. They're going to cause an uprising. Which they thought of, they thought that of anybody, any organized movement, and Christianity was no different. So, with that new era of isolation kind of being added and spread across Japan, that led to very widespread persecution of Christians uh, over that fear of overthrow. To the point where it's a very famous event in Japanese history that 26 Christians were legit crucified, and then you know displayed, and that outward disappearance of public practice of like Christian faith just happened overnight like right. it was like night and day within weeks and that they call it the 26 martyr event and i went and looked at like crucifixion that's very very off from what i would maybe think japanese to do no 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 uh apparently they were doing crucifixions from the 12th to 16th century this moment kind of like nearly was the biggest event after they kind of just put that one on the shelf for a while and they decided to uh dust that little beauty off for world war ii because uh, they were, uh, you know, pretty, I would say, not to put too fine of a point on it, just a little harsh. Just yeah, a, just they a little were, harsh. Uh, mean. They were, they were they real were mean guys. Real meanie weenies during World War II. But yeah, it kind of just, uh, Christ- Christianity and therefore Christmas kind of just took a back seat for a very, very long time. Yeah, so I want to work in here a little bit. Um, this is, like you said, during a uh, a time period where they're in complete isolationism yeah the walls walls up high and thick yeah. right so it was about 250 ish years and then uh we we kind of see this interesting shift in japanese culture where they've gone away from the shogunate yeah and they've given the power back to the emperor good finally uh, th- well <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> well maybe i don't uh, know but for japan this was good because this is the period called the meiji restoration huge for japan um people have heard of course about the meiji restoration a lot but i figured i'd give you a little bit of context so that you guys can kind of figure out what's going on around this time period this emperor essentially named himself meiji which means honorable restoration i uh, love that yeah renovation revolution regeneration yada 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 but uh what essentially happens is um In 1853, Commodore Matthew C. Perry from the U.S. uh, arrives in a bunch of warships. (laughs) Holy shit. Into uh, Japanese um, uh, ports. Ports, And basically is like, open the fuck up. 
please stop being closed. We yeah. have boats uh, with guns. Sort of exactly what happened. So what they had been on the sly trading with the Dutch and a few other like European countries. And uh, so America gets wind of this, comes in and basically is like, open up. They want to slice that Nippon pie, baby. Right. So um, the hope was that they would conclude in a treaty that would open up the ports. Uh, Perry had concluded that the treaty that would open up two Japanese ports, Shimoda and Hakodate, only for material support um, like wood, water, food, coal for U.S. ships. Basically, at this point... um, America is trying to to basically impose like presence in the the I guess Pacific, right? Sure. And yep. so um they need as many places to dock and get supplies and stuff to really just like fuel their military and navy overall. Um a, a lot of times in pretty much every war like the 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 country or whoever army that has the best like supply lines will do the best in the war so it, it just kind of like makes sense why they would go after something like this um so there was basically a bunch of treaties that they ended up making um the one that ended up sticking they are sort of deemed as the unequal treaties so basically japan gets like skull fucked in every single deal <laughs> okay. and this is what eventually leads to world war ii Hmm. Is they're just they're overall like economically getting demolished, but what is interesting is during this period of the Meiji Restoration, Meiji sends out basically to all the the different countries in the world people to go learn in their universities, people to take traditions and things like that, and to bring it back to Japan. This is where I think a lot of the like things that they do in Japan uh, for Christmas time or Karismasu. Time, uh, is they they brought back um from you know the european countries the christmas markets they yeah. brought back the the you know the lights that you hang up they brought back um basically a capitalist let's buy a bunch of shit for christmas um one thing that's interesting is christmas in japan is seen as more of like a romantic holiday not really like a family get together oh holiday. yeah we'll definitely get to that when we do traditions um that is completely in line with some of the dates that I had found that right around 1873, uh, Christianity was kind of allowed again under the Meiji restoration period. Yeah. And um, like basically this kind of what that actually explains probably the why they're sending people out to learn from different, you know, academic sites and different cultures. And then when they brought that back, they're like, yo, like we definitely should probably like let this, let this happen for a better populace. So then from that moment, it was kind of like a snowball effect to, you know, pun maybe intended, that it's basically that, um, like, from that 1873, Santa Claus was introduced at its current known form. I think Thomas Nash was the guy that first illustrated our modern depiction in Europe. Or maybe he was American. I don't know. Somewhere in the West, he depicted a modern, the modern take of Santa um, before Coca-Cola got their grubby hands on him. Um that a year later and those fucking polar bears those fucking polar bears dude they got leave nothing to do with, leave them alone <laughs> quit having them drink your weird weird syrups dude <laughs> um yeah in 1874 santa claus was kind of introduced into the japanese cultural zeitgeist and then it kind of steamrolled from there japanese department stores started putting out christmas trees in 1904 the first public depiction there were there was depictions of santa around the first depiction of santa in a newspaper was in 1906 so we're getting within a single like 
half a generation, like from okay, Christianity's good again to all this stuff. And then by nineteen the 1930s, the Christmas shopping season was now kind of considered this seasonal event, like to the point where you're saying the capitalistic uh, onboarding, right? Part of that was uh, was that Christmas shopping season. Um, it, it wouldn't be until, I don't know if you got in the middle of the 1980s, where we started to get more of some of this traditional stuff. Um, but up to that point, um, as that Christmas shopping season grew, the Japanese government was actually using it to kind of ping the uh, the economic growth, like the people's engagement within the Christmas shopping season. They would actually use metrics from that to measure a year, the year past economic uh, boom or wane. So it was kind of interesting. They were using it kind of as a, a, a benchmark of sorts to see how the how the country's doing on, on, a, on a money scale. And it, I think that kind of does kind of it, it tracks like bad season, like bad year. People don't have a lot of cash economic economically took a downturn. You're not getting a lot of people aren't going to want to engage very heavily in the Christmas shopping season. Yeah, I think uh, you'll probably see that in America this year. Um, you know, cost of everything has really risen, and yeah. like money to pockets is down. So I think it'll. It, I think it. There is like a. There's probably an index about it. You know how there's like always random indexes on things. I my favorite one is the Waffle House Waffle House Disaster Index. Right, exactly. My favorite shit. Yeah, incredible. It's very informal, but seems to be. It seems to correlation equals cause. It does not equal causation, but. It could be useful information. The Christmas shopping season certainly can be one of those things. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about um, two things and then we can hop back into the the 80s. Yeah. The, the 80s. power of the 80s. Yeah. So um, I wanted to mention because, you know, y- you at home probably like us don't know shit about either the Shinto or Buddhist traditions. My knowledge is cursory at best. Right. So I'm going to start with Shinto because that is a, a a major player in Japan, especially at the time that all this is starting to really happen. Um, quickly, uh, Jinja is a Shinto temple, um, and they do not celebrate Christmas as in, like, of course, they don't, you know, have Jesus. They don't uh, got that Jesus guy around too much. Stuff, but yeah. um, I was reading this guy's blog who, I guess he's like a, sh- a Shinto enthusiast. <laughs> a shin enthusiast? Uh, yeah, okay. Shin enthusiast. Sure. So, um he basically says there is not really a connection at all between Christmas and Shinto, but um he suspects that there are two reasons for this. One is that uh Jinja are on December 25th very busy getting ready for Hatsumoto, and they do not want to add something else at that point. Hatsumoto is um, you've seen it in almost every anime where the New Year's comes around and you have to go to the temple and do your double clap prayer thing. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it's the first Buddhist temple or Shinto shrine visit of the Japanese New Year. Many visit on the first, second, or third day of the year as most are off work on those days. Generally, wishes for the New Year are made. New omamori charms or amulets are bought, and the old ones are returned to the shrine so they can be cremated. Love that. They are often, uh, there are often long lines in major shrines throughout Japan. Um, once again, this is something that you see in every single anime, if there's ever, like, a over-the-year kind and of... Like New Year Festival, essentially, right, yeah. New Year Festival. Um, one thing that is interesting is people do not get off of work for Christmas. It is not like a national holiday at that all. That is true. Okay, I did read in a lot of places it's not considered a quote-unquote national holiday. Right, all so right. Um, 
Christmas is not Japanese, so of course they're less inclined to like really get into that spirit, and therefore it's not really appropriate for a jinja. Although Christmas is popular, it is popular as a foreign import, and is uh, he suspects a lot of Japanese people think that Americans eat KFC on Christmas days as well. We will get to that yeah. in a little bit. It is just possible. Uh, it is just as possible that there is some concern about the fact that the uh, originality, uh, original like meaning of it is from a Christian festival, but there's no hint of Christianity in Christmas as celebrated in Japan. Kind of purely secular in that right. way. Yeah. Um, so there are about 80,000 Jinja in Japan, and he thinks that there is almost certainly at some, uh, a few of them or whatever, some Christmas events. So it's not necessarily like fully devoid. Um, but he says it's just such like a busy season getting ready for that new year. Like, like every person in Japan has to go to a new year shrine. Yeah. So it's kind of important to get all that kind of stuff set up. (laughs) Um, so it's definitely like a working day for them. Yeah. Um, for Buddhists, I found this really interesting. Their version of Christmas is called, uh, Visak. Um, okay. It's actually celebrated in spring. It is a holiday that marks Buddha's birth and his death and enlightenment uh, with paper lanterns, gifts, and the bathing of a baby Buddha statue. Okay, that's just like efficiency, right? They just wrap Christmas and Easter all in one. Right. The birth, Christmas, death and resurrection, Easter. Let's just, let's just slap it all into one place. I love that. <laughs> um, so the uh, even though Buddha was born many moons ago, Vesek's current iteration is a recent development in the tradition's 2,500-year history says Dr. Hwan Su Kim, a associate professor of religious studies at Yale University and author of The Korean Buddhist Empire, A Transnational History, which covers the topic. In fact, celebrating the life of Shakyamuni, the historical Buddha, is a thoroughly modern practice. Vesek has been celebrated throughout Buddhist history but the emphasis on the historical Buddha rather than other deities and bodhisattvas uh, started as a way to unite Buddhism across Asia in the colonial period. According to Kim, Vesak as a really festive, massive, and theatrical holiday started in Sri Lanka in the late 19th century. After colonizing that country in 1815, the British had banned Buddhist celebrations a move that was supported by Christian missionaries. Buddhist leaders, including the Theophistic, uh, sorry, Theosophist, Colonel Henry Steele Alcott. What the fuck? I don't know. <laughs> um, basically, I think it probably means like a theologian, but for some reason it's just written like an idiot. It's theologian with extra steps. Um, and the Buddhist revivalist and writer Anagarika Dharmapala petitioned the colonial government to reintroduce Buddha's birthday and designate it a national holiday. This new Vesic day looked a lot like Christmas, and that wasn't on accident either. Modern Vesic celebrations were based on characteristics of Christian holidays, with cards, carols, gifts, and parades. Hey, Even okay. a Buddhist flag that ended up recovering a sense of pride among Sri Lankan Buddhists who had been marginalized in um marginalized in society under the colonial rule so um it's i think interesting that they've taken a little bit of pieces from from christmas celebrations and uh they're able to kind of use um what i think they're getting at is that christmas 
as a concept, having the carols, having the get together with your family, having the like, you know, the hallmarks of like an, a holiday, right. an event, yeah. have helped it like stay around and be relevant. Right, just the and natural. So taken those pieces. The natural, like all the participate participatory elements of it. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, so they keeps people engaged. I, along those lines, I found in my research, I found some interesting stuff. As we mentioned, Santa Claus appeared in 1906, and uh, in newspapers and stuff, it was brought over even earlier. But there is some analog in Japan to Santa, and it's kind of credited to why. Uh, uh, the idea of a guy that looks like Santa aesthetically and what he represents in his folklore kind of married pretty well to what Japanese, you know, religious uh, iconography already kind of serviced. So I wanted to bring up that one, Santa Claus is super popular in Japan with kids. In 2020, all Nippon Airways ANA delivered more than 80,000 letters to Santa from children all over just Japan, which is pretty big. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, and fun fact, they actually genuinely believe not in the North Pole, but that he lives in Lapland, Finland, which is pretty like Lapland is a place in Finland where they like set up like literally all of Santa's village and his workshop and stuff. They go balls to the wall. I mean, it's really far up there. Yeah, right. right, it right. May as well be the North Pole. Exactly. So when it comes to Santa, there was like kind of already an analog in Japanese mythology. There is a god, one of the seven lucky gods, also known as the Shichifukujin, named Hote. He is kind of depicted as this very kind of almost traditionally Buddhistic. Like you like people who look at him like, oh, that's Buddha, when everyone knows that's like not actually Buddha. Big bald head, big belly, and he's uh his name actually is uh he's considered the laughing Buddha. Like he's basically shown off his fat belly. And they believe he was based on a real person um, named Budai, who died in 916 AD um, and later revered in uh, Buddhism, uh, thinking he's a Chinese monk. But his name is in kanji. His name means cloth sack, where he's depicted wandering with a sack and howling with laughter. He's popular with kids represented in classic art, squealing with glee whenever he's around children. Hence, it's not very difficult to see why. He kind of marries, uh, he's married to like Santa in that image. They saw him come over from the Western canon like, oh, that looks very much like Hote. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll fuck around with that. Um, but he's got a couple differences that I found very interesting. While Santa obviously has toys and presents in his sack, Hotai's sack, depending on the legend, Full contains, of balls. contains any, <laughs> maybe, contains anything from clothing, modest clothing, to just a single rice plant. To the entire collected woes of the world. Oh, <laughs> it's basically like Pandora's sack. Yeah, basically, yeah. But he's like, it, he's, he contains them so the world can have joy. So he takes them. Um, it might represent his role as a wandering monk, collecting a few poor possessions as a poor but happy vagabond. Um, but some legends show that he takes those woes to bring fortune and joy to everyone he encounters thanks to his magic bag. Um, receiving his blessing or asking for a wish is harder than Santa, where you just kind of, you know, you write him, I want a fucking Xbox, and he's like, screw you, go ask Microsoft. Um, Basically, he will grant wishes if several people request the same thing at the same time. So, like, it's almost like a collective offering or request. I want a new Tonka truck. Everyone in Give your village. Ethan a new Tonka truck. Everyone in the village wants Ethan to have a new Tonka <laughs> truck. And you may get it from Hote. <laughs> um, basically, he's also what I found interesting, too. Um, 
<laughs> he's very often depicted as curmudgeony or very like oh in front of when he's depicted with old people he like just doesn't like being depicted with old people at all <laughs> i mean i guess they are like not you know funny yeah he's basically looks practically miserable he's and tired of all the dad jokes probably especially yeah especially when he's depicted next to the six other lucky gods he, he just doesn't like he's not a fan of visiting his relatives for the holidays i guess interesting yeah he, he's also part of that camp so he's in the spirit yeah so i mean like they <laughs> they also a they children had an analog already like in a lot of Japanese mythology, but borrowed very much from Buddhism um, in the Chinese tradition, but definitely very much had a very heavy influence on Japan around the 17 and 1800s and even earlier on. So when they saw that Santa guy, this big, jolly old fellow with a magic sack and magic robes. Yeah. Yeah, we can understand that. That, that may be a reason why he stuck on so hard mm. is because they kind of like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, it's Hotek. Yeah, we, I can fuck around with this. Yeah. Yeah, I'll drink Coke. It's cool. Like, it's whatever. <laughs> But yeah, so we get kind of get into the 1980s, and this is where you see a lot of the modern traditions we're going to talk about start to take shape. Um, the 80s is really a time of huge economic boom. Um, a lot of, you know, I guess you would call them yuppies over here. They just had a lot of money to burn, and many corporations took advantage of that through like commercialism and capitalism. Um, magazines were gearing more towards younger generation about the, cop- the concept of like a capitalistic spin on christmas as we see now and and now here but um it's also this is around the time you mentioned that the they were kind of spinning because of the younger generation were trying to find love marriages were trying a big deal during this economic boom they were gearing it towards a day of romance very in line with getting your loved ones x gift or y gift to be romantic ads saying only if you want your gal to say yes get these things for her on christmas so uh, it, to your point, it's a very romantic holiday now, maybe geared a bit towards the family, but it's still very much in line with like, this is a day of romance. So for a lot of the Japanese public, it's kind of like they treat it like their Valentine's Day. Like, this is the time you do that with your SO, your bay, your main squeeze, you know? Yeah, uh, the main squeeze. So, I mean, we and leading all the way up to now, I want to maybe get into some of the traditions. Uh, I, I think I wanted to do the biggie. What the fuck is the deal with KFC and Christmas in Japan? What the hell? If you don't know, KFC is the de facto premier Christmas dinner. Thanksgiving has turkey in the States. There's Christmas hams left and right in Japan. No, no, no. It's motherfucking fried chicken from the good old state of kentucky you know what i'm feeling um so how did this happen so what i found interesting everything the entire idea can be traced back to one man takeshi okawa oh wow i fucked that up let me go again um takeshi okawara the enterprising manager of the first ever kfc in japan opened in nagoya in november 1970 the company line that they they attribute to this day, is that Okawara had a dream about selling a party bucket full of chicken and started a one-store campaign to boost sales because he opened the first KFC. The reason why uh, he had the dream in the first place, he allegedly overheard an expat saying that they missed eating turkey for Christmas and that Christmas, uh, like, chicken was the next best option during the festive season. So, when he opened that, he said, whatever the case or whatever that may be, 
His venture came to set the tone for Christmas in Japan for decades to come after the winter of 1974. He had the fried chicken party bucket that we, you know, just big bucket went national in 1974 (laughs) with an ad called Kentucky is Christmas. Yeah. Kentucky is Christmas. It's basically it caught on wildfire might be an understatement because it captivated the nation. They, you know, at the time of this, the mid 70s to into the 80s, the idea of American capitalism was very idealized because of the, the promise of its economic boom under said structure. So they were looking at anything American was like hotcakes, baby. Let's go. Give me That's that. That's when sumo wrestling became. <laughs> huh. No. And I was going to say, weird coincidence. Showed up. <laughs> so yeah. That right- first little kid who had Christmas KFC decided, you know what? I'm going to eat this every single day. And, and then he, he gained- turned into Yoshinobu. <laughs> go fuck yourself. And the he's greatest, the biggest, biggest nine million pound sumo wrestler of all time. No one can even step into the ring. He is the ring. <laughs> what do you attribute it to, sir? Party bucket. All the chicken skins. KFC for Christmas. This is awful. <laughs> but yeah, that was really it. There was also, I think it was also two pronged because one, obviously the American influence saying like Kentucky is Christmas. Everyone's like, oh, fuck, I want this. I want this now. But the lack of what you were kind of mentioning before, like concrete, longstanding Christmas traditions, where, yes, it was a holiday. It wasn't a national holiday. And they kind of cherry picked certain traditions. But the lack of their own, you know, seized tradition for Christmas in Japan. Um, also, there's been anecdotal evidence that, you know, the colonel in uh, when dressed up in some Santa garb has a real Santa look to him. If you yeah. kind of look at that, those three things. Holy shit. Yeah, he did just show me. We'll put that in the Discord for sure. But yeah, that when, when dressed up, he looks kind of like fucking Santa. There's really no way around it. Um, all this kind of brewed into a complete cultural zeitgeist. Um, so how big of a deal is it? Let's get the numbers down. Well, apparently a third of KFC's yearly sales are Christmas in Japan. Like, you know, uh, uh, numbers, like buckets. Um, it's hardly a cheap experience. So here's what the standard party box, can, box contains traditionally. An eight-piece bucket of chicken, a shrimp gratin, and a chocolate cake. Fucking yummy. <laughs> and you want to get here. Let's do a little price is wrong. Do you, wanna, do, you ha- do you have the number in front of you? I do. Fuck. Okay. So it is 4,580 yen, a.k.a. just north of $32 US. Again, it's considering the way the fast food prices are going nowadays, it's not unheard of, but that's, that's, that's a pretty penny I'd say for, for what you get. Yeah. Uh, for what you get. Absolutely. For like a quote unquote Christmas meal though. I feel like that's within, right. If you're going to like feed a family of four, yeah, you can fuck, I can bounds. fuck around with that. Yeah. So to the point where it's like how popular it is, not just the numbers sales basically start like right, like in November. And you have to reserve a spot. Um, and to the point where they, they basically had to spread this out because Christmas, the day, is not like, to your point, this big national holiday. Uh, they've kind of spread out actually delivering the sales over the week of Christmas just to keep up with demand. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Um, These be- little bastards love them. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I just quickly added in a couple extra things. The. Um, the campaign was really simple. Like you said, it was Kentucky for Christmas or, or KFC is Christmas. 
Um, and basically the simple message is Christmas at, or at Christmas time, you eat chicken. Um, it was all over the TV, all over the radio, yada, yada, yada. Um, but it was really successful and which is good because KFC, like you said, didn't have many restaurants at the time. They had racked up, racked up almost a million dollars of debt in Japan at that ah, time. Oh, that's an interesting spin. Didn't see that. Um, and that was in 1971. So four, four years later, when they started doing this, they started generating sales averaging $29,000 each month. What the fuck? So that helped overall uh, buoy the ships, let's just say. And then also they see a doubling of monthly profits in December. So today they have 1,200 stores across Japan. Um, in fact, there's a three-story KFC, like Schwanky, in Tokyo that is, it has a fully stocked whiskey bar involved. Let's fucking go, dude. <laughs> and they also have extended this um, concept even farther. And uh, in 2012 and 2013, passengers leaving Japan on selected flights to the U.S. and Europe were served with in-flight KFC meals. Yo, over dude! the Christmas period. Where the fuck is my KFC in the sky, man? I've only ever had Honestly, a- I'd be down as fuck rather than those oh. like- Here's your cheese enchilada that we literally just fucking microwave. Here's your $15 bucket of charcut. Yeah. You piggy. You little piggy. Eat it. Eat it. What choice do you have? You're 30,000 feet up and you're starving because you didn't have the foresight to go to a, a, a Cordoba or whatever the fuck. Sorry. I'm just reliving a personal experience. Yeah. It um, feels like it. Yeah. So along with the KFC, there's, there's other traditions that come along too, including the Christmas cake. Apparently, this is very European in origin, but this really took off around the same time in the mid 1970s. Um, so the reason kind of why, uh, you know, the Japanese has adopted this this kind of cake during Christmas time um, is more for like festivities, obviously, and good fortune. But there's a very specific kind of cake using a combination of white in the form of whipped cream and red in the form of strawberries. In Japan, this combination of red and white is known as kohaku, which literally means good fortune. Like it's associated with good fortune. Oh. So uh, stuff like this, like a, like a cream and strawberry kind of cake. Very simple. Um, again, meant to be shared very much with a loved one. Yeah, um, I'd plow that cake, dude. I would. <laughs> you loved one. Is, <laughs> I was going to say, is the cake your loved one on that day? It will be loved. Hey, man, what can I say? When I, the cake I looks saw that something good. where they were like. If you're uh, single on Christmas, don't be seen in public. I'm like, Holy what the fuck? Holy shit. Is that a really thing? <laughs> That's what I saw. I don't oh, know if that, fuck that is reasonable. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. And other traditions they do have, they, they, um, they do presents. They do gifts um, very much for kids as well. Um, to the point, like I said, they, they very much are down with the old claws, man. So like, they really love that. Is, uh, but uh, Japanese kids traditionally only get one gift from their parents which i think is honestly a fucking great thing yeah uh, they that needs to be a thing yeah um i think just, we should just give kids books and be like good luck <laughs> you better start liking them so another christmas tradition in the west is the is the christmas stocking you know hang it from your mantle you get little gifts from santa that comes down the chimney but in uh japan Kids enjoy something similar with one key difference. It's a Christmas boot. <laughs> oh. The Christmas boot. 
Holy boot. They're fashion like Christmas stockings. Christmas boots popped up in the 1960s, and now they're very common through Japan today. Just like other countries, they contain candies, snacks, and small toys believed to be derived from St. Nicholas Day on December 5th. 6th? Somewhere around there? I don't know. Yeah. You ever do the thing back in the day where you leave shoes at your doorstep and you get little candies and shit inside? Mm, I sure have not. It's Maybe my family did it. We got a lot of like old German traditions in our family. And that's like St. Nicholas and the day before Krampus, Krampusstein, or like, I think it's like Krampus night or some shit. Yeah. Um, If you were not good the night prior all year, Krampus would come and like eat your toes or some shit. Yeah. He'd like take a shit in your shoe or something. You'd take a shit in your shoe, but you wouldn't really be able to smell it. You find out it smells like your parents and you're like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) Shout out to all the parents to commit to not only to Santa Claus, but to fucking Krampus if you raise a little shit. Very impressive. Yeah. Honestly. Um, Yeah. Christmas lights. Very popular given the romantic slant. People will kind of gear, uh, you know, Christmas light shows or or spots to be Tokyo Tower itself. Yeah, to be a romantic area. Like oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it's meant to meant uh, to did do you that. You know kind of that thing. the the coal in the stockings actually originally was just piles of shit. Is that a real thing? No. Oh god damn it. Yeah. <laughs> see there, there, there could have been there could have been a thing right there. I'm not sure, but I don't know enough about the tradition of coal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's probably a good thing, to be honest. Oh, hell yeah. I can actually heat my house for another day. Yeah, right. And that's probably the thing, too, is like <laughs> in an economic standing. I wonder if there is an economic slant to like the coal element. Like, oh, all you can afford is coal. So all we're going to all we're going to spend on you is coal. We're going to heat you so you don't die of frostbite. And then you're like, thanks, parents. Yeah, Merry Christmas. This is actually so sick. Merry Christmas. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's really where we are in the modern day. Christmas being a a more of a subdued holiday, but very much participated in. With the romantic slant, it is, you know, children still have their time and they get present singular and do right to Santa. But it really has taken on this more capitalistic form of you know, you don't really, as the as a consumer, buy for the child. You buy for the SO. You 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 engage in the KFC. You engage in uh, a very different flavor of Christmas altogether. Which there are parts of it I like. There are parts of it I you know do like more here. I'd prefer to eat KFC on Christmas than uh, ham. I'm not the biggest ham guy. <laughs> honestly uh yeah i mean i'm pretty agnostic to my meats on christmas i'll eat whatever meat you put in front of me basically oh i'm not gonna say i won't wolf down some ham dude (laughs) um yeah i i don't know i think uh it is interesting that it's sort of like their valentine's day i i don't know how they got to that though i do think like you know the idea of like cuffing season or like Oh, it's it's nice. Let's get comfy and like, you know, go stroll around the town. Let's go to the Christmas market. Like there is, I think, some um I don't know, there's just something about like the the Eastern European or not Eastern European, the Western European version of like Christmas markets, the snow, the like oh it's it's like snowing in, in Grindelwald, uh, Switzerland, you know? Yeah. And uh just like kind of that aesthetic is pretty like cozy and like romantic somewhat. The thing for me is uh one of the big differences and it might be more of an economic nuance take, but the idea that the child gets one gift, the the slant is very much on the consumer and their lives and not at the behest of the child. I think Western big corporations around this time have really understood that if you have the kids in the palm of your hand, 
they have the wallet of the parent in the palm of theirs. So that is why children's advertising is so insane and like bombastic and really appeals to like kids of certain very striated like uh, uh, sects of ages and groups because they know that the, the that parent like they're trying to do kind of this transitive property of getting the parent to spend for the kid and leveraging the kid's desire and balking maybe to get the parent to do that in Japan. There's much, obviously, much more of a sense of obedience. The parent is right. Like the expectation that your parent of your parents to get you something is so minimal, right? Like you honor your parents. You don't demand much from them in a lot of cases. So I wonder if they just gave up on the idea of that, like going after the kid is not the way we get them to spend going after their uh, sensibilities of pleasing or or pleasing their loved one or gaining a loved one. I find that very interesting where they took that slant. It's a very it's a very smart take on on Japanese adult culture. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like you do advertise two children here specifically. Yeah. Um I do not know what the situation is in Japan. Maybe they do the same thing because you would think all you got to do is get your foot in the door with a couple kids and then all the kids will want it because like not only is there peer pressure and stuff like that here, but over there, it's like potentially even more aggressive. Um, I'd, I'd say so, too, because with I think kids of a certain age group, it's very you want to talk about stride, stride it even within like a, a juvenile group where it's like if you don't have X, if you're not up and at him, like if you're not popular, get the fuck out of my sight, dude. Like, yeah, we'll yeah. kill you. Yeah, we'll literally bully you into therapy. Your soul. <laughs> So, yeah, maybe maybe that's more true now where they can appeal to children. We've, we've seen crazy Japanese ads that are like for candies and toys and stuff. And they're fucking wild. Like they're they're wild. Um, but I think back in the day, the what at the time of Japanese Christmas traditions getting cemented, hitting the heart of the person with the money. By saying do X, Y and Z buy A, B and C and you will get or please your loved one. Sounds like a perfect through line for a budding economy, a bunch of yuppie culture, young men specifically, maybe some women, but I can totally see it gearing like, you want to make your woman happy? Diamonds are forever. Diamonds. Get her, get her a fucking cake, dude. Get her an eight piece combo with a bevy. Like that's with a gratin, dude. And if you forget the cake, she will fucking leave you. I will say the shrimp gratin is like out of this world. That's out of pocket. Did you see the picture of it? It's like a little... I'll show you. It's in a little like cauldron, like a nice like like a French onion pot. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to eat that. Okay, that actually looks good as fuck. It looks kind of fire, right? And then they have like this kind of like pie, like red and white. I take it back. These are fire. Yeah, right. Yo, Kentucky's Christmas, dude. Why? It's probably like better chicken and stuff over there too. Infinitely better chicken. You know, like just like actually cooked and like not. You can even tell the breading on that bitch is just like. It's almost cleaner. It's, it's tempura. almost. It's like it looks like tempura. Yeah. Um. I I would eat that all day, all day. But I mean, you know, it's it's cool to kind of see like the word the way that Christmas takes many forms and other cultures. I've been watching a lot of like evolution of Santa internationally videos, and it kind of sparked that interest of this topic. And Japan's, I think, the interesting part of its tattered history with Christianity kind of gave it, um, you know, uh, this kind of void for capitalism to really sink in as the foundation of modern christian christian culture rather than in a lot of other western european european countries 
um, they had theirs for literally ages. We're talking like potentially like four fifth BC AC. Um, BC would be wild. Imagine Santa just around. Well, Krampus AC after Christmas after AC (laughs) AD after uh, decking halls. (laughs) Uh. That's what it is. Obviously, dude. Um, but yeah, the the idea of Krampus comes from real old Germanic Alpine lore. Like we're talking potentially even older than that. So it's it's kind of interesting to to see all of that stuff and speci- like specifically in Japan. But um I think that's Merry Christmas. That's honestly, all we can yeah. say. Yeah. Merry Christmas, guys. Thank you for coming to the special holiday edition of the Weebology Podcast. Everyone here in the lab. Everyone, everyone, everyone in the lab. Uh all <laughs> wish you a very happy holidays and uh, a wonderful New Year's. Um, if you would like to discuss or any kind of fun facts or what you're doing for Christmas, just show us what we're doing. We're gonna be just chowing down and I'm going to be neck deep in eggnog. I know that. Like swimming in it. Like in a literal bathtub full of eggnog. That is. It's good for my skin, dude. Concerning. It's good for my skin. It's good for my psyche. Is it good for your skin? It's bad for my card, dude. Yeah. It's not good for my wallet. But if you want to come talk about Christmas or just share your holiday spirit in the Discord, patreon.com slash upology, one dollar and up, get you in there with all the Patreon folk and anyone we've had as a guest in the past. Um, If you want to leave us a like, comment, subscribe, a like, or see a little bit of the merch for the holiday spirit. Uh, Weebology.com. And we know you're on a platform, guys. I'm still chill, but I can feel myself in 2024. The rage is building to critical mass. And I might be mad again because I know you guys aren't clicking over and down over 235 episodes of the Weebology podcast where you can take the holiday uh, break and really catch up on some uh, current classics and everything in between, like this episode. Sometimes we just do history. Sometimes we just, yeah. do, we just, sometimes we just hang out and just chat with y'all. That's so true. It's very much the holiday spirit. But until I can find my way out of my eggnog pool situation, I'm Ricky. And I'm Ethan. And this has been Weebology. Merry Christmas. Actually, the, the 3,500 gallons of eggnog just showed up. Oh so my I God. I don't know how I'm going to get it to my it's parents' It's in house, vats. It is in vats. 